Yahoo, Katie, Dayo, and I'm definitely a geek. Well, I finally got to see Star Wars The Last Jedi until we start a new trilogy. And without getting into spoilers, I gotta say, overall, I was kind of disappointed. You know, it was a beautifully shot film. I mean, the cinematography was fantastic, but parts of it just kind of felt out of place or they dragged out. And overall, it was just a lot darker than I was in the mood for, especially given how depressing the news of the world can be these days. And still, having studied writing for film and TV at university, it's times like this where I like to pull off my viewer hat and put on my producer hat and, and try to see it from that perspective. And after hearing people on multiple podcasts talk about their opinions of the film, I suspect that this will be one that gets better the second time you watch it. And that's one of the limitations of filmmaking, I suppose. You, as a producer, probably see it or read it or discuss it literally dozens and dozens of times throughout the production process, from the writing phase to the filming phase to the editing phase to the post-production phase to the press tour phase you sort of lose the ability to see things with a fresh eye after a while, I might imagine. And you'll see the big picture, but for those people just watching it once, and only once in the theater, it can be difficult for them to grasp the totality of what you, as a filmmaker, are trying to accomplish. But I guess that's a good thing. I mean, while it might lead some folks like myself to have a negative or immediate backlash towards the film, you know, after just seeing it once, being able to rewatch a film and gain new insights and perspectives from the additional viewings might mean that the film has depth, purpose, intent, intelligence, or maybe it's just a mess. Who knows? I suspect this is going to be one of the former types, a film that'll make more sense upon repeated viewing, as well as taking on new meaning once we see where episode 9 leads us. You know, on the flight to see my parents this week, they had all the Star Wars films on there, including Rogue One. So I decided to watch The Force Awakens again, and I really enjoyed it. You know, that film, I really liked it the first time, and I enjoyed it the second time go around, and And frankly, it kind of gave me a little bit of a new perspective on The Last Jedi. I saw where they were setting up things for Episode 8. I saw how things connected. And and so I think that once we see the trilogy as a whole, we'll be able to get a better read on it. So I'm reserving final judgment until then. Plus, slight spoilers for the next 15 or seconds or so. Uh, It also didn't help that I ran into the washroom during arguably the most important two minutes of the film. It's that casino slash freeing the animals sequence where she gives the ring to the kid. I was so confused by the very end of the movie when suddenly there's all these new characters and what's going on and I didn't see him take the broom I I was just really confused all right there's the end of the spoilers but anyway for what it's worth I'm really happy that I saw it in 4DX the moving seats really helped pull me into the world and while the folks to my left and my right decided to turn theirs off I enjoyed the splashes of water throughout the film and it was kind of fun to watch and feel part of what the characters were going through on screen and you know I heard some folks say that 4DX has a bad reputation, and I was kind of shocked to hear this because I've never had anything but a good impression of it, but I suppose not everyone enjoys that kind of ride-like experience when they're watching films. Still, I think it's fun, and it's worth going to see it in 4DX if you can. For me, at least, you know, I complained about not enjoying it. I did enjoy the film, and I think 4DX definitely helped me enjoy it more. I guess I just wish it was a little bit more consistent, that they had trimmed down a little bit of the, the excess of the film. I don't know, it just kind of felt like they were over and over again. We're getting into this, and then no, we're actually getting into this, and you know, multiple times, it's like, oh, this plot again, oh, this plot again. It just kind of felt like the same thing over and over again. Anyway, let's just get to the tech news. 
Apple recently made a change to their App Store review guidelines in response to the recent trend in so-called loot boxes. Now, these are randomized purchases within some video games, allowing players to get items, weapons, upgrades, and more, sometimes allowing players to progress in the game faster than normal. Now, it's that randomized part that's proving to be controversial, with some critics even going as far as calling it gambling. And so in an effort to help with transparency, games with in-app purchases that are of a randomized nature must, quote, disclose the odds of receiving each type of item to customers prior to purchase. However, while this sentence and this language can be found in the English version of the guidelines, the Japanese version has not yet been updated to reflect this change. Now, whether this is due to the holiday season or lag time between translating things between regions or possibly whether it's simply due to cultural differences remains to be seen. You know, after all, there hasn't really been the same level of outrage in Japan towards these randomized purchases. We call them gacha in Japanese. Now, gacha is the onomatopoeia for a clunk sound, and anyone who has visited Japan has almost certainly heard this sound from the famous gachapon capsule machines, which can be found at toy stores and train stations and convenience stores all across Japan. And these are truly a cultural icon for people of all ages in Japan. And many adults will put in coin after coin after coin, hoping, pleading with the gachapon gods to randomly give them the toy that they wanted. Maybe I should get another. Anyway, we'll see if Apple updates their Japanese guidelines in the future, but for now, Japanese developers can keep the odds of their randomized purchases a secret. Maybe I should get one more. Shenmue, anyone? Panasonic has announced their VL-SGZ30 and 30K video doorbells. Now, video doorbells have been very common in Japan for a long time. When someone pushes the button on the outside, the camera sends a one-way video and audio feed to an inside intercom screen. And that screen has a button on the bottom which allows you to chat with the person at the door. And even in some cases, you can unlock the door for them. But those are typically found at businesses or schools. And, you know, honestly, including my own home, most homes, schools, and businesses have these kinds of doorbell video intercoms installed. But what's unique about these new Panasonic models is that not only can you receive the video and audio on that 3.5-inch LCD screen that's mounted inside your home, but you can also receive it through a smartphone app. It's Panasonic's even-when-you're-out intercommunication system. The name sounds better in Japanese, and you know, similar products have popped up in recent years in other countries, but most of those have yet to come to the Japanese market, so this is a fantastic option. Now, devices running Android 4.1 or later, or iOS 7.0 or later, are supported, and while pricing hasn't been specified yet, the devices are scheduled to go on sale February 22nd, 2018. Now, while Christmas is the biggest holiday in many countries, in Japan, the three-day New Year's celebration, Oshogatsu, which takes place on January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, definitely takes the cake. Actually, the cake is for Christmas, but that's another story we'll get to in a minute. You know, most families, they either make or purchase osechi for the New Year's holiday. Now, osechi is a special set of food. Each part of the food set has a special meaning to help celebrate the New Year. Some symbolize good fortune or good health or wishes for children in the New Year. And while many families still make homemade osechi in the days leading up to New Year's, they're also usually sold through supermarkets or on the higher end 
and you can get them at hotels or more upscale places. Now, they're packaged in special packaging called jubako, which are stacked boxes that resemble those bento boxes, the lunch boxes. Now, osechi are designed to last for the three-day celebration, as cooking during oshogatsu is considered taboo for the most part. Now, perhaps this simply comes from the fact that, you know, preparation and things being crazy as it is, osechi makes the food situation simple, and it gives the woman, because it's always the woman, a chance to relax and not have to cook for a few days. Anyway, Amazon Japan has decided to get in on the osechi action this year by offering tower osechi, consisting of a whopping 21 jubako, which, when stacked high, is over one meter tall. Now, it's priced at a staggering 200,000 yen. That's insane. Now, I know that a lot of these are very expensive normally, and frankly, given what you get, it, it you know, it may be a reasonable price if that's something you need or want, but still, 200,000 yen. God, that's insane. So we're going to go ahead and go to the patented Zettai Geek Dayo. Can I buy an iMac for that much scale? And we'd find that while you can't order one of those lovely, shiny, brand new iMac Pros, you can certainly get the base model 5K iMac for 214,704 yen, which, while a little more expensive than a Tower Osechi, will certainly last you longer than three days. But if you're interested, Amazon Japan is still accepting orders as of this recording for delivery on December 30th. They also have some cheaper, smaller options ranging from around 9,000 yen on the low end to around 25,000 yen and beyond, depending on how many people the Osechi is designed for. Now, Amazon is also going to be delivering Osechi via their one to two hour delivery service, Prime Now, for customers living in the Prime Now delivery areas. So you'll have plenty of options to get your Osechi for the upcoming holiday. And as I said, people are busy making preparations for the New Year's holiday in Japan. After all, it's traditional, nay, expected, that you send Nengajo. Now, Nengajo are New Year's cards that you send to friends or business associates, but in this digital age, you might not even have your friends' home addresses, let alone their legal names. But that's another story altogether. You know, I have quote-unquote friends that I've known for years. I still don't know what their legal names are, but I guess it doesn't really matter. What you call a person is what you call a person. But, you know, one company that's helping friends greet friends with a sort of virtual Nengajo is messaging app Line. Yes, Line. Greener than Leftover Osechi in July. And see, now you get that joke because I explained what Osechi are. Anyway, Line has announced that once again this year, starting on December 26th, they'll begin selling a series of special New Year's stamps. Now, these stamps will sell for 120 yen per set, and they come in a variety of designs, including some more traditional styles, as well as Line original characters, and even anime and character stamps like Disney, Pokemon, etc. But these just aren't any stamp packs. When you buy one of these packs, you also get a set of 10 otoshidama. Now, otoshidama is what we call small envelopes of money, often with cute characters on them, that children receive at New Year's from family. But in this case, anyone is eligible. And when you send your friends a stamp via line, they'll get to open their virtual otoshidama. Now, most of them are going to have a mere one line point inside, but for a few lucky folks, you can win 120 points, and that's enough to buy a set of line stamps, as well as some real money in the form of 1,000 or 10,000 yen line pay credits. And for 100 lucky folks, you'll feel like a kid again when you win 1 million yen. Yes. Now, I remember they did the same promotion last year, 
and it was a lot of fun. It encourages you to message those folks you haven't chatted with in a while and send them some well wishes for the new year. It also mimics the traditional contest that the Japanese post office runs with the Nengajo. So each of those New Year's cards has a special number printed on the bottom, and if your number gets pulled, you win a prize. Anyway, if you're in Japan, fire up line and send your friends some Nengajo stamps. Just don't expect them to share that million yen prize with you. It's train talk time! Oh yeah, this week we've got a cool video from a Japanese YouTube user, Badger. Now they've created a really cool animated map which showcases what a typical morning on the central Tokyo train network looks like, including the main attraction, the green Yamanote line, which loops around the city in two directions. It's a really fantastically odd video. It kind of looks like a bunch of ants running around. Everything starts out at pretty slow, you know, at 4.24 in the morning, and it livens up about an hour later, and as the day goes on, the lines become more and more packed to the point where it's just looks like it's a sea of trains moving back and forth. It's definitely worth checking it out in the show notes and get an idea of how crazy the morning rush in Tokyo can be. And speaking of trains, your J-pop hit of the week is a throwback to one of the most famous TV commercials in Japanese history. It's a series of commercials for JR Tolkai, which ran from 1988 to 1992, with a one-off special commercial in 2000. Now, all the commercials feature the 1983 song Christmas Eve by Yamashita Tatsuro. Now, the lyrics go, You definitely aren't coming. It's Christmas Eve all alone. Silent night. Holy night. That part's in English. I shouldn't sing. Anyway, uh, it seems the feelings I hid deep in my heart will not come true. And, you know, this imagery certainly fits well with the first commercial of the series, which featured a young girl waiting on a JR train platform for someone who seems to not be coming. Uh, you know, perhaps the most famous and iconic one of the whole series of commercials was the 1989 one that features a young girl on a mad dash through the station to meet her boyfriend, who will be soon arriving via JR's Christmas Express. And that 1989 spot was even parodied by Tunnels, a very popular comedy duo in Japan, and links to the parody, as well as the original series of commercials, and even that full song can all be found in the show notes. You should definitely check them out, and you can enjoy them even without understanding Japanese. The commercials are really fun to watch, and you should check out an iconic memory for millions of people in Japan. Well, at least around these parts, it's Christmas, and for many people, that means family, presents, or a big turkey dinner, or possibly Chinese food in a movie. I like the latter, but nonetheless, still, Japan does things so differently, very differently. As I said earlier, New Year's is the big holiday in Japan. Oshogatsu is when family gets together and spends time with each other, much like many people do to celebrate other holidays like Christmas. So then what's Christmas in Japan? Well, in three words... Cake, chicken, and couples. Now, while there's definitely an aspect to Japanese Christmas around children getting gifts and families having a party, you know, by and large, Christmas is a day of romance in Japan. Frankly, it's a regular day. Most people have to work. So it ends up being a date night, or perhaps a night to hang out with your friends and celebrate, but certainly nothing like the family-centric idea of Christmas in the West, where everything is closed and you cook and all that stuff. You know, in recent years, both Universal Studios Japan in Osaka 
as well as Tokyo Disneyland in Tokyo, have had large marketing campaigns around the December season promoting their illumination displays and events. Now, illumination is illumination, right? It's what we call Christmas lights or holiday lights or festival lights, anything like that. And uh, both USJ as well as Disneyland have some of the most spectacular displays that you can find in all of Japan. Now, on the other hand, individual houses rarely have such lavish light displays, partly due to the fact of setsuden. Now, setsuden is this idea of conserving energy, but it also just may be due to the fact that there's a lack of such a tradition in Japan. So, besides throwing a party with your kids or going on a date with your sweetie, how do you spend Christmas? Well, you get a big, lavish meal, and this includes the two main Christmas staples, chicken and cake. But how did these become the core of Japanese Christmas? Now, while there's a fascinating and more detailed history of Christmas in Japan in the show notes, to put it simply, with turkey being expensive and uncommon in Japan, chicken served as a substitute for foreign workers in Japan who were living there and helping to modernize the country in the years following the end of World War II. But chicken for Christmas became a cultural staple in the 1970s through the use of television, which had finally gone from being a rather costly costly luxury to a more common feature of most everyone's home. Kentucky Fried Chicken ran a series of commercials with their slogan, Christmas is Kentucky. Christmas is Kentucky. And Kentucky is what we call, for most people it's a state, but it's what we call KFC in Japan. Uh, and this helped to make KFC a household name. Now, even today, sales of KFC in Japan hit their peak in December because even though there's still many competitors, including convenience stores, supermarkets, and other places that offer their own chicken meals for Christmas, Kentucky Christmas is still a huge part of the cultural image of Christmas in Japan. In fact, it's so big that you have to reserve your KFC weeks in advance. You tell them when you want to pick up your order and you schedule a time. That way, it's fresh, hot, and ready to go. Of course, at least this year, one other option is to pick up some at the train station on your way home. Of course, this being Japan, the strong smells of KFC might, quote-unquote, cause trouble for others on the train. Thus, KFC is selling the fried chicken home type. Now, it's a special variety of KFC that's only available at the A8 exit of Shinjuku Station in Tokyo. They sell the usual selection of side orders as well as fried chicken home type, and this has a special cooking method and a special plastic container, which helps to prevent the smell from bothering others on the train on your way home. Now, because they sell it at room temperature, you have to warm it up in the microwave. But once you do, it apparently smells just like regular KFC. By the way, if you want to pick up your home-type KFC, you better hurry, because KFC at Shinjuku Station is only open through December 31st. Anyway, back to Japanese Christmas traditions. So, that's where the chicken tradition comes from, but what about eating cake? Now, according to the Japan Times, Japanese-style Christmas cakes typically have many of the things which were scarce at the time that Christmas became popular in Japan. So in those days, fruit was considered a luxury, and recent advances had helped make strawberries available year-round, and you combine that with the refrigerator becoming common in most Japanese homes, cakes consisting of cream and strawberries, which may be more commonly associated with birthday cakes in some countries, became a Japanese Christmas cake staple. Now remember how I said that Japan is slow to change, but once a change happens it sticks well cakes and christmas chicken are definitely examples of this phenomenon and certainly another example of this is line yes line the green and red messaging app for christmas no 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 try the green and red messaging app (laughs) 
You know, homophone jokes don't really work on a podcast, do they? Anyway, look, I know that I probably talk about lying too much on this podcast as it is, but honestly, it's like trying not to talk about what Apple or Facebook is doing these days. They're just popular and influential. And while they haven't been able to break into the international market, particularly the American market, like they've really wanted to, Line is certainly the messaging and chat app in Japan. So I thought I'd go a bit into the history of Line, how it started, how it became popular, and where it's come in just a few short years. But let's go back. I feel like we need a flashback. Back to the age of K-Tai mail and flip phones. So in those days, mobile mail was all the rage because users of Docomo service, for example, could only send SMS messages to Docomo users. The same for AU users to AU users and SoftBank to SoftBank. So, you know, in other countries, especially in Europe and North America, SMS messaging was hugely popular from a long time ago because you could send SMS messages across carriers. But this interoperability was not a function of Japanese carriers. So mobile email addresses addresses were, and still are, given out to users of the big three carriers. This allowed users to just use email to send messages via their mobile phones to other users. So when Line came about, there was still not a good, solid messaging platform which had been popularized in Japan. Smartphones and iPhones were still just beginning to gain popularity, but many, if not most users, still had flip phones. And users still relied on services that used traditional telecommunications infrastructure, rather than internet-based services. But then, in March of 2011, the Tohoku earthquake happened. That was a massive 8.9 magnitude earthquake, which resulted in a 30-foot-high tsunami and the meltdown of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. But in the process, it also damaged portions of Japan's telecommunications and phone system nationwide. Suddenly, an alternative was needed. Now, a lot of people used Twitter at the time, and Twitter was great for one-to-many messaging. Um, There's a great band that I love called Monkey magic and there's there consists of two canadians and two japanese men and the four of them are from sendai which is where the tohoku earthquake happened and they got hit hard and they were out there every day cleaning up the rubble picking things up helping people out and they were documenting it on twitter and it was a great way to get one to many messaging if you haven't checked out monkey magic by the way i slipped in two jpop things this week but anyway they were fantastic and they helped so much but twitter became a lifeline for a lot of people to be able to communicate but for two-way communication on a private scale or on a group scale there just really wasn't anything yet and so experiencing this loss of communications led some employees of NHN Japan, which is a subsidiary of South Korean internet company Naver, to develop a new way to communicate during times of crisis. And a few months later, in June of 2011, Line Messenger was released publicly for the first time. Now what's incredible is how quickly the app took off. I mean, the growth was incredible. And in addition to word of mouth, pieces on television and the newspaper about the app, part of what influenced such incredible growth were two commercials that were run on television over the holidays season, December 2011 and January 2012. Now, these Japanese commercials featured TV star Becky. Now, Becky's kind of famous for being famous. She's on TV all the time. But the two spots featured her laughing and crying, and they were both called Warao, laugh, or Naku, cry. And they were very simple ads, almost too simple, to be honest, if you look at them now. But they were very effective. So the laugh spot, she's looking at her phone and messaging, and she's laughing and laughing and laughing, and it basically just shows her messaging her friend, and it's like, you know, free messaging app. And then her crying is her crying all night, talking with someone on the phone. And then you realize she's on the phone online as the sun comes up and it's like a free phone messaging app. And the thing you have to understand at the time was it costs a lot of money to make phone calls. So being able to be 
on the phone with someone all night long. This was revolutionary. People wanted in on this. And, you know, it goes to show, it's even if it's simple, never underestimate the power of television and Japanese celebrities to influence the population. You know, I distinctly remember watching these ads on TV around the 2011 holiday season. And within six months, most everyone I knew had line, including myself. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, once something takes off in Japan, it really takes off. In fact, the numbers bear this out because Line had 50 million users within its first year, and by the end of its first 18 months, it had already reached 100 million users and beyond. The growth was incredible. Now, the key benefit to using Line was that there were no charges, like I said, other than data costs, but messaging and calls placed within the app were free. On the other hand, if you made a regular phone call, it could cost up to 40 yen per minute. So this provided an alternative way for users to communicate, bypassing the high fees from carriers. Line was also smart to provide for download and sale, of course, stamps. Now, these are called stickers in English, and we talked about them earlier with the Nengajo stamps. But, you know, unlike the more common, at least at the time they were fairly common, emoji, you know, I think people in Western cultures um, tend to use emoji a lot, right? But emoji, they tend to not be as used anymore as much. Uh, people still use them. They're just not as common. The stickers and stamps are more common. Um, and, you know, these feature cute characters and phrases. Some of these are original line characters, which they created. Others are from anime or manga, games and TV, movies and more. And there's tons of different varieties of stamps. And honestly, stamps can say what people sometimes can't. After all, in Japan, speaking your mind, especially saying something negative or expressing a contrary opinion, is highly discouraged. But when a cute cartoon bear or rabbit can say it for you, well, it provides users with a culturally acceptable way to express themselves, especially if you're talking to a co-worker or a boss. It might be easier to express yourself through a stamp that's it, almost like a third party. It's like, I'm saying this, yes, but I'm not saying it directly to you. I'm saying it through this third party. Snoopy is saying it for me, so be mad at Snoopy, not me. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. And Line has also continued to advance their security. So in the early days of Line, messages could actually be intercepted using packet capturing methods because, you know, some messages were sent using clear text. Now on Wi-Fi, it would actually secure them, but a lot of times over the cellular network, it would just send them via clear text, which seems crazy right now. But you know, until February 2016, there was also a way to clone an iPhone line account by restoring from an iPhone backup. And then you would use that cloned iPhone to access a person's line account. And this is rumored to be how the aforementioned Becky had her line account hacked. Now, this hack led to a scandal, which ended her TV career for a while, actually. There's a fantastic article in the show notes about how this is an example of the sexism that it's still rampant in the TV industry and the, the entertainment industry in Japan. You know, she got the blame for kind of a cheating scandal, even though there were multiple parties, including multiple men involved, but she was the only one that lost her career. She's recently made a comeback, but it was touch and go for a while. Anyway, it's a really great article. It's worth reading. Check it out in the show notes. But possibly in response to that rumored, although it was never proven that that was the way that they hacked it, Line turned on end-to-end -end encryption for all users starting in July of 2016. It's on by default. And the next month in August, they extended the encryption to be used on all individual and group chats, as well as voice and video calls.
You know, all told, I continue to be amazed by how well Line has done and continues to do. They haven't rested and continue to expand into new markets, including mobile games, mobile internet services, and mobile app services. Now, they're, you know, they've got Line Mobile now, they're, they're MVNO, they also have news, payments, music, video streaming, so much more. Um, I think they really are trying to be a platform, and I kind of like WeChat in, in China. They really want to be your go-to place for anything. And and if you've never tried them out, definitely give them a shot. You know, it's free, it's fun, it's a great cross-platform alternative to apps like iMessage, or if you're uncomfortable with using Facebook Messenger for privacy reasons because, you know, they're data mining you, uh, that might be a great option. Of course, the problem is getting all your friends to use Line, too. You know, I really just wonder if Line's ever going to be able to break into the Western market. I-, I think that Apple, Facebook, and Twitter are just too powerful, too popular for them to make a dent. Plus, there's that legacy aspect of sending SMS messages here. So, I don't know. I think it was good timing in Japan, but it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for line both in and out of Japan. And like it or not, I'm definitely going to keep covering them on the podcast in the future. For now, if you can, please subscribe in Overcast or Pocket Cast or whatever podcast app you choose. It sure means a whole lot to me. This show is also available in Apple Podcasts. And if you could rate or review the show, that would really help me out. It would help out with discovery and getting the word out there. And you can find the show notes for this episode at platypuspodcasts.com slash geek slash 10, which is also where you're going to find links to all of my social media. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, topics, or you just want to chat, especially about Star Wars, I'd love to hear from you. Please tweet them at me on Twitter at KatieDayo with the hashtag ZetaiGeekDayo so I can find them. And however and whatever you're celebrating, I hope you have a Merry Christmas, a wonderful holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus for the rest of us. Until next week, Katie Deshita, bye bye. Say no, shoot ya. is a platypus podcast production.